As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry. Your palms damp. Suddenly a chill runs down your spine. You clutch the person next to you. You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to go Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And this is our review of A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, starring Heather Langenkamp, Patricia Arquette, Lawrence Fishburne, Patricia Pointer, Craig Wasson, and Robert England, directed by Chuck Russell, released in 1987 on a budget of $4.5 million, grossed $44.7 million at the box office. And we talked about in the past how you, you didn't see these until you and your wife picked up the box set and kind of watched them all straight through. I didn't see this one until adulthood either. The only thing I knew about this one growing up was the docking song. Dream Warriors. I saw the video on, on MTV all the time and thought that was cool. And I like Dokken. And so I remember that and the video, but I didn't know this movie, even though people talked about it all the time. And, uh, you know, largely considered to be the best of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I guess we'll see if that holds up. But, um, I didn't know a lot about this one until many years later. As a matter of fact, I was out of college when I finally saw this one, Brian. I was in college when I finally saw this one, uh, and I knew nothing about it at the time. I didn't even know the Dawkins song because I hate Dawkins. <laughs> yeah, we've established that offline that you are not <laughs> a fan of Dawkins, so we won't spend a lot of time on that. But uh, I, I liked Back for the Attack as an album and, and liked this song and stuff, but we'll leave it there. But no, we, we, we're going to do a third Nightmare on Elm Street. Of course, they, they put a little time between the last one and this one. Uh, you know, they got the last one out pretty fast, and then they, they waited on this one. And the, the, you know, the, the thing that I find amazing about the backstory here is that they didn't like the results of whatever they got out of part two. I mean, it made money, but it wasn't something people really wanted to hang on to and go with. And, and in a lot of ways, it just felt like a remake of the first one with just some gender flip. And they wanted to do something different to build the franchise here. And so Bob Shea went back to Wes Craven. And said, hey, would you want to come back for part three? And Craven said, well, I'll only do it if I can get Langenkamp back. And Heather Langenkamp said, yeah, sure, because what else is she doing? And besides just the yeah. ten of us and, and that Nancy Kerrigan movie, you know, which I don't think it happened yet. But <laughs> anyway, the part she was born to play. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, the part she was born to play, by the way. But anyway, um, so he, he and another guy, you know, sat down and wrote a script and they turned it in and New Line said, well, you know, we like some of this, but we can't really do this because it was a lot of shape shifting. It was going to call for a budget that they just weren't going to put on this movie. I mean, they, they couldn't have made it for $10 million, they said back, back then. There's just no way they were going to do that. And so they took some of the ideas and then handed it off to Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, a name that, you know, if you've watched Shawshank Redemption, you know him, really well known screenwriter and director in Hollywood now. But both of these guys were young at the time and were on the 
their way up, and they took a second polish at what Craven and his co-writer had done. So you know, there's four guys credited for having written this movie, and generally that's a sign of like a problem. But in this case, it's actually, well, we got the ideas here, and then these guys made it come to fruition. And I think you can feel the the polish of like real writers on this one that didn't exist maybe in the last one. The last one was a little all over the place for me sometimes. And this one, I mean, they're setting stuff up and they're paying it off. And I mean, there's a ton of that in this movie. Yeah, they did a much better job on the script and even in the dialogue compared to the first two. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. a little better dialogue and the story itself is compelling and interesting. Yeah. Um and it was a good way to bring, you know, Nancy back as a character. Um a very interesting way and I, I like how they kind of developed who she is, why she, why she's doing what she's doing and how she's able to do it. I think all those are compelling storylines. Yeah, we'll we'll get into like her profession and stuff and how she got there, but it makes total sense. And the characters here actually have some characters and they i think they also are are benefited by the fact that they they got people here who are actually giving a performance you know patricia arquette lawrence fishburne craig wasson for all of their two-dimensional nature as as actors sometimes they're giving performances here and and Mm -hmm. they have things to do and i do think there is a neat story here and it's a neat way to use freddie and the biggest thing from the craven adaptation that gets to hang on is all the shape-shifting that Freddy does in this movie where he's all these different objects and stuff like that in the Craven script. That, I mean, that was all it was, was Freddy shapeshifted all over the place. And it was one of the reasons they didn't think they could film it because they just couldn't afford to do the effects. Nowadays, you know, they do it, you know, with CGI and stuff. But back then, you know, it was all practicals. And so they, uh, they had to trim down some of that, but I think it was good to leave that idea in that as Freddy is going to attack, that he can do it from a number of different, objects and places i mean we we get it right from the opening yeah i liked it too and and i like all the different things that they showed him doing it was there's some interesting things that happened in this one i think and uh they did a good job with special effects much better than they had in the past i i thought i it's it is definitely an effects heavy movie and there's a lot of big effect shots in it that I'm sure we're going to talk about because they're mostly center around the kills and things. But before we get mm-hmm. any further into it here, Brian, why don't you lay it on people and tell, pe- and tell our listeners what happens in Dream Warriors? All right, here we go. During a nightmare, young Kristen Parker has her wrist slashed by a dream-stalking monster, Freddy Krueger. Her mother, mistaking the wounds for a suicide attempt, sends Kristen to a psychiatric ward where she joins a group of similarly troubled teenagers. One of the counselors, none other than Nancy Thompson, who has battled Freddy some years before. Nancy realizes Kristen possesses a power to pull others into her dreams and that each of the teens in the treatment possesses superpowers in their dream world. They band together and attempt to take on Freddy in the dream world, but he kills Nancy and the dream warriors are left to fend for themselves. In the real world, the psychiatrist in charge and Nancy's dad are led by the ghost of of a nun to find Freddy's bones, and they bury him using holy water, which vanquishes the dream demon and saves the teens. However, the final scene gives us a clue. Freddy isn't done yet and sets up a showdown for the next film. So there's your plot summary for Nightmare 3 Dream Warriors, Jay. What do you think? 
Well, it's a pretty fleet way to describe what goes on in, in this film. I think there's a lot of things that happen in it, and we, we can get into them more directly. But the most interesting stuff is the Nancy and the dream therapy and all that cool stuff. And we already talked about in the opening how we liked what they gave her to do. And we'll get into that again. But I thought that was smart. I, I, I like how all of it takes place at a clinic. You know, it is a, mm-hmm. a confined space. But yet, this seems like a much bigger film than the other two, even though the other ones were all over the place sometimes. And this one mostly takes place at that hospital. And, you know, we get one junkyard type setting and stuff. But I felt like it was a bigger scope. I mean, it just feels that way from the opening. And, uh, you know, we open with another nightmare. Third movie in a well, row. We're going to open I got to say, mm-hmm. I got to disagree. We don't open with the nightmare. And this is the first film that doesn't open with the nightmare. You we don't actually open. Okay. No, absolutely not. I think this is not a nightmare until she lays down to go to sleep. I'm talking about in the opening movie. We uh, the opening scene. She goes to bed, and we get to a nightmare. That's what. Well, I mean. Yeah, but but it's not because the opening scene is her making the paper mache house, right? Okay. The opening scene is her building this house and her mom coming home and telling her, you know, you should be in bed and this and that. So we don't. In the other films, we actually opened in the nightmare. Okay. In good this point. film, yeah. we're opening outside the nightmare, going to the nightmare. Okay, good point. So I, I thought it was interesting yeah. that, that we, they did it a little different this way. What? Uh, do you remember making paper mache things growing up? I have memories of oh, that. Oh, yeah. It was a very messy yeah, ordeal. back in school, we used to do it. Yeah, very messy ordeal. Much like <laughs> yeah, I always is... used balloons. <laughs> yes, yes. But I, matter of fact, that yeah, I remember making <laughs> balloons. She's pretty good with this, man, making this house, and it's it's pretty slick. I do like how they get us into the nightmare, though, with her. It's a great transition. She goes to sleep, and then she peers up over her uh, headboard, and she's looking at the life-size version of the house that she built. Um, which I, man, yeah. I thought that was awesome. It was such a freaky spook house. Paper mache still. Yeah. yeah. It comes with a dead kid and all. I mean, it's like, it's got the full place. <laughs> a bunch I mean, of dead kids. Yeah. There's like <laughs> dead people hanging around and it's, I mean, it's a freaky scene, right? You know, I mean, it's, and they, mm-hmm. right, right off the bat, they give us the song. So yeah, you got yeah. the kids jumping rope to the, to the one, two buckle your shoe, you know? Oh yeah. The all one, that two, stuff. Freddy, Freddy's coming for you. Yeah. Did we get that again? Yeah. We haven't talked much about the jump rope girls, but they are a consistent part of nightmare on Elm street dreams and things like that. I think even Jesse has some of mm-hmm. that in his in part two, but yeah, no, yeah, it's great. And it's also another instance of nightmare inside of a nightmare because she wakes up, you know, when she, the kid she's carrying away from the fire or whatever, turns out to just be a corpse talking to her, which was really creepy. And she wakes up and she's like, oh, okay. And she goes to her bathroom and she's still in the dream. And this is where we get Shapeshift Freddy for the first time. He he's basically becomes the sink. And it's just his face in the mirror. <laughs> and he slashes her. I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, it it's, I yeah. mean, yeah, it's claymation-y and kind of cheesy now. But I thought it worked. I thought it worked, too. I thought they did a good job with it. And, and yeah, he, 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 the sink knobs become his claws and... And all that, but I agree. I thought they did a pretty good job here. I mean, I, I the one thing that irked me, which shouldn't really irk me, is the fact that when she's running around with this little girl, it's so obviously a doll. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they could have done a little better job with that, but well, let, that's a small minor thing. Well, let me say something though, Brian, because you, you bring up a point here, and for all of the things I like about this movie, and I do like a good bit of it, the story's really neat and stuff. There's one thing I am going to knock on it. It looks cheap. Like the, the effects are well done, but everything else, the way it's shot and stuff, it, 
you can tell they were just trying to get it done on a wing and a prayer. I mean, it's well, held together with baling wire and duct tape in places, man. It's it looks cheap. I don't know. I don't know that it looks cheap per se, but I think that they spent most of their money to get the effects that they wanted in in Agreed. and they had to cut back on other things. But I kind of like the look of it because I think that it may, especially in the psychiatric ward and everything else, it makes it look like something that people don't really care about, right? They right. just have it there because they need to treat these kids. And I think that is better that way. Well, you know what? It, 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 the look of the film matches the look of that psych ward. It's institutional. It's stark. Yeah. Everything is just stark and bland. And part of me was like, is this because this movie looks cheap? And then I'm like, well, maybe it is an aesthetic choice. Like, they know they don't have a lot of money to light it and do all this stuff. So Chuck Russell, who's not a dummy and is a good director, realizes, eh, I'll give this movie this look so that it matches mm-hmm. the motif. I mean, I, I don't think that's by accident at all these guys are smart and i think that's totally done that way so i'm glad you caught that too because i think that's exactly how this is supposed to look yeah i think they want it to be a dark and dreary film it's kind of like when you watch uh the second batman batman returns right it's all gray colors and dark and dreary there's not a whole lot of color in that one i think they went for the same type of concept here they want it to be dark and dreary because you're in a psych ward right well you gotta get yourself in that mood yeah, it's not only the, the dark and dreary stuff too, Brian, it's also the fact that it's, when there is color, it's that washed out, blank, greenish mm-hmm. blue, again, that institutional color, you know, that's just so bland behind yeah. everything. And everybody, you know, like, you know, people are wearing just stark colors, whites and bright, and there's nothing to them. And in the dream world, it's much more colorful and there's stuff going on. And, you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah, I, th- I thought that was a nice motif. And the slash wrist lands Kristen in the, the psych ward here. And that's where we meet. Uh, I called him Larry Fishburne and you laughed. And so it, we know him as Lawrence Fishburne, but Max, the orderly here, who's fresh out of apocalypse now, basically kind of early in his career. <laughs> and then Dr. Neil Gordon, Craig Wasson, who may be, I, I don't know. I felt like this guy feels like he's straight off a soap opera and holy cow. He was, he <laughs> felt like one day he's not bad. Okay. He's actually pretty good in the role, but there is something kind of white and bland about him that, that matches what he's supposed to go through here. Cause he's got a big arc in this film. Sure, but and I can't. I I couldn't stop thinking he was Bill Maher this whole time. He You're, looks just like yes. Bill Maher. It's like if <laughs> Bill Maher and Jonathan Silverman had a cousin. Oh God, it's it was, this guy. Yes, yeah, right? he, mm-hmm. they really do look alike. I wonder if Maher's ever like had that said to him. But no, um, and I, this guy I, like still works sure not. to this day. Wasson still yeah, works. Sure. He's doing stuff. But well, he um, wasn't terrible. I mean, no. He, I, you know what? He looks actually like believable. Oddly enough, right. like, most of the time, like doctors, when you see him, you are like. It's like Nicole Kidman in Days of Thunder. It's like, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't buy it. But this guy, I'm like, no, I kind of buy it. You know, he looks like somebody that spent a lot of time in school and he, he's a, he's kind of a mix for a psychiatrist because as a psychiatrist, he's a medical doctor. So that's why he can deal with medicines and all that stuff. He actually is more like a psychologist, the way he acts and works with the kids and stuff. And the other woman is more like the psychiatrist, but I I, I like how they, you know, they play off again. I mean, the other doctor who I thought was a nurse for a long time, but, but the other doctor Sims is like nurse ratchet out of one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something compared to him because he's so like nurturing and caring and he really wants to get to the bottom of this and he's not 
so up his own academic ass that he can't realize that there may be a more supernatural answer to this. That's what I liked about it. Well, I think he was falling for Nancy, and that's why he well, gave it the Yeah, we're, we're going to talk but, about that, that uncomfortable yeah. dinner that they have. But. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a little more caring of the students. I think, or the, uh, sorry, the patients. I yeah. think they're his patients, and he takes that very seriously. Whereas you said Sims, she's just a cold-hearted bitch who's there doing her job, right? She She doesn't give a shit about these kids a job she hates yeah yeah Yeah. not somebody say because this is the only job she can get and now she but she shows zero passion for any of these people no um, at all yeah i agree they're more of a nuisance kind of like uh kind of like kirsten's mom kirsten's mom what a bitch wow she is (laughs) like stop interrupting me kirsten i've got a guest here and you know i don't want to keep my guest waiting the guy's like where's the bourbon i'm like well i know where this is leading this guy needs to get a couple shots in before he goes with the fake blonde i guess but wow well that and and when when she's signing the papers to get in she just wants the lady out Right, like, yeah, she, like she gives like, Nancy like send nothing. your daughter away. You just yeah. get her out of here, right? Yeah, she's. Oh, I just God. want to get her out of my sight. Oh. And, and the thing is, is like what she realizes that all of these kids, and we'll talk about the rest of them in a minute. They're all the last of the Elm Street children or whatever. And Kristen must come from like the last wealthy family in town or whatever. And her mom like wants nothing to do with this. Like, yeah. just, no, oh, none of this. Don't want to fool with this anymore. You know, it's we've gone it was so like far daughter was a was a nuisance to her. Exactly. Right. She and needs we, to get laid and well, daughter's just, still awake. Yeah. Like <laughs> dad's, you know, gone and, and, and all. And Kristen talks about her dad, you know, in another scene later. But, um, yeah, mom is just terrible. It's like not good horror parent. I really thought she was going to get killed. Like she sort of gets killed in a dream later. She but this, is, yeah. Yeah, I but it's she's... not. But it's yeah. But I'm like, yeah, I don't really think that. When they die in the kill. dream, they die in real life. But I don't think she. I think she was just an aberration in the dream. She. I don't think Kristen pulled her real mind. Well, I don't think it matters dream. if they're an aberration or not, though. I don't know. That's a good question because I don't know that she dies. I never counted her as a kill. I thought that was just Freddie screwing with. Kristen, when he we'll get the there. Let, we'll yeah, get we, there. We got let's, a ways to go. Let's talk yeah, about the rest of the kids, though. The no, let's cast. talk about Nancy first. Okay, you want to talk about Nancy because she yeah, doesn't come because in she shows right up now. right away. Okay. Um, and, and there's things that I like. Uh, you know, she's a, supposedly an intern here. And she's so like she's, she's she's blown through school. She's a grad student now in yep. psychology, dream therapy. I'm 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 excited that she uh, she returns with the gray streak in her hair still. She hasn't tried to get rid of <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, they, so that continuity, which is amazing, because with that hair the way it's done, you know she gets it worked on. So because that hair is huge. Yes, it is. It's typical eighties hair right there. Yeah, it's like eighty seven. She could have been in a poison video. That was a lot of hair. Yes, it is. So I mean, I like that they're introducing her into this field as kind of a, I don't know, like a psychiatrist in training or. A dream specialist, I guess. I don't know. And there are dream therapists. That that's a real thing. Yeah. So I like that. No, it made total sense. Again, if it had been written by people who didn't care to know and and bother with any of this, it would have just been slapped together. But because it's written by people who bother to look up a few things and do a little research, they realize no, dream theory is a real thing. And what what better career for Nancy to have gone into? You know, after everything that happened to her, you know, I mean, she can't be a professional dream killer, right? So why not go into something like this? I thought it was yeah. smart. 
Yeah. I thought it was too. I mean, and she's got some experience so she can help these people through it, right? Well, and, and, I, and she so steps it, right in to help Kristen. He's absolutely. like having a total freak out when they're trying to sedate her. Which, by the way, I love this hospital. That like she was fine till we tried to sedate her. I'm like, well, why the hell did you try to sedate her? <laughs> she was fine, so just drug everybody <laughs> walking through the point. door. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, I think they're trying to drug them to get them to sleep because all these kids are not sleeping, right? We know that. Well, that's what um, they say. Like, I, I get the sense that Doctor Sims is all about just knock them out and throw them in the, the throw them in the room. Like she doesn't care yeah. at all what's going on with them. So could very well be. Yeah. Um, but I like that they set this up, and we did talk already about how. Nancy goes to uh, Kristen's mom's house to get her things and everything in order for her to stay at the psych ward. And it's there that she goes into Kristen's room. And what does she see? She sees the paper mache house that is her old house. Right. I thought that was pretty cool. I did not think that was supposed to be her old house. It what? didn't look oh. anything like it. What? Yeah, it did. It had, the, it had the pillars out front and everything. It uh, looked exact. I knew exactly what it was right away. See, I didn't know. I, I'm glad they told us that because I would oh, not have wow. assumed that. I, but you no, know, it's fine. It's one of those things, though, that I feel like we talked about last time. We're like, what's the deal with this house? And I guess they've just, coming back. they've just zeroed in that this house is going to be Freddie Central, whether we like it or not. So... Okay, fine. Well, Whatever. It is, you know? it is, it is the house on Elm Street. It, you know what, though? I thought for a minute, I was like, is that where Kristen lives? But I don't think so. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, I thought for a minute maybe she was like doing that. It was, she lived there now, but no, it's like in total disrepair. It's like a Michael Myers house now. You know, it's like it's falling wow. apart. It's a paper mache house now. <laughs> that's the other thing, too, the timeline here. This is supposed to be six years or five years after the first film, right? Six years after the first film. So if we're to believe number two is in continuity, which they don't reference it at all, so we don't know that it is, well, they then this is, five a, years. this is a year later. Then, yeah. That's what they're correct. saying. But I kind of feel like this is more of a sequel to the first one than it is anything to do with that second one. Do you get that feel? Oh, I, I agree um, with that sentiment. Um, but I do think it's in order and I do think it's only a year because you got to think about it. She was in high school at the right. time of the first film. So she would have graduated and gone on to school, college, right. and graduated that. And even if she did a year or two of master's program to get her mm -hmm. whatever, it, it fits the timeline. No, just no, it, right. it totally does. You know, I get it. She's in the right space. I'm just, just trying to think to myself. So if we're, if we were to believe that two is in continuity, then in a year, boy, this house really has gone downhill since Jesse lived there. But if well, they we never showed the actual house. Well, but I wonder like, where, it was always the paper mache version. I know, but I wonder like, where, where Kristen knew what that was. Like if, if she's from Springwood, then she would know that house. You'd think this well, isn't because she's not like she lives in, LA. in her nightmares. I guess so. Maybe that's it. I, mean, I, I don't know. I didn't think. I didn't know think that. About this, Jay. <laughs> She's been having these nightmares for a long time, and if that house is the link to Freddy Krueger, which it seems to be from the films that we're seeing lately, right? Mm -hmm. Everything ties back to that house. You would assume that at some point in her dreams, she's been in or seen or been around that house with Freddy chasing after her, and so she's. It's in her mind, and she's built this paper mache based on that house. You know, you right? make a good, you I make think a good point. Even, I and I think she even it. spells it out for her um, when Nancy asks her, "Where did you know that I used to live in that house?" I think she even tells her that that house is the house in my dreams. Well, okay, I didn't catch that Kristen told her that, so I must have just missed that. I, I, I did. I, I'm just 
I think that's what happened. I do remember Nancy saying I live there, and they had that whole conversation. It's fine either way. I mean, it, it works. I kind of like the fact that if they're going to make that house so key and central to everything or whatever, that they make the house have a little character to it, and that it is something from Christian's dreams. And you brought up a good point there that, that I hadn't thought of, Brian, was I don't think that's the first time she'd had a dream like what we saw in the beginning. Oh no. You know, and and yeah. that's that's a good way to kind of bring in the other characters here too because all of these kids are here because they've attempted to kill themselves. Now Kristen didn't attempt to kill herself. Well, but okay. They the they claim that they attempted to kill themselves, but they right. never actually did attempt to kill themselves. Well, it was, was all part of the dream. That's what I'm saying. What what we find out is that what's happening is they're being led to their death by Freddy and these right. ones survived. And Correct. as survivors of that, they've been locked away in this institution and are all trying to stay awake because they're all dreaming about the same guy. And know? they set that up really well, I think, at the beginning with the radio broadcasts yeah. that are going on, talking about the increase in suicides um, in the area. So I thought that was set up pretty well that these guys are the survivors of that and there's a lot of kids dying. It also lends credence to the fact that we're going to give these people superpowers, if you will, in their dream world because they survived a Freddy attack. Like a Freddy attack that mm-hmm. got, that wasn't just him screwing with them. It was him getting physical trying to kill them and they all somehow or another survived it. Now, you know, Will is in a wheelchair from it and uh, Joey can't talk anymore because he's, you know, he's so scared out of his mind that he won't speak anymore, right? But, uh, They've all survived it one way or the other, and they have different ways of coping with it too. Like Taryn is the ex, you know, drug user, and so she had turned to substance to try to fight it off, right? And mm-hmm. that had gone bad for her. And then you've got Philip, who's—I mean, you talk about a guy that's like a Corey Feldman knockoff or a Corey yeah. name. I, mean, I actually you... asked if that was—I <laughs> actually asked if that was one of the Corys to my <laughs> wife when it, we were watching this. Boy, it looked. We like had to look one. it up. Yeah, it looked like one. I mean, apparently that guy has been in movies with Corey Feldman, which I'm like, that that would be indiscriminable. But okay, <laughs> so if you want to do that, sure. But I, no, I, you know, he is into all his like model making and he makes puppets and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you got Kincaid, who's just, I mean, who dresses like the junkyard dog. And, <laughs> and I know I'm talking about the G.I. Joe character and cuts promos about like it too. Like he just talks a lot of trash. Which yeah, is, he does. Yeah. Well, he talks a lot of shit. Uh, but it's, but, but I like them though. Like again, they're caricatures because they're all one thing, but they all have a, a something to play. And each of the, the actors I feel like is playing a part. They're doing something because they've got something to do. They're not just there to, you know, be damsel in distress or whatever. No, right. Yeah, they all have a part to play and they all are there to protect each other. And I like um I like our characters. I think they're actually pretty good. The only one I think is stupid is the is the mute um who doesn't talk but he's obsessed with his nurse. The blonde the blonde nurse, why would you not be obsessed with her? She flirts with him? Holy cow. Well so, you know. But of course, that's I think almost he thinks, his undoing. I think he thinks she flirts with him. Well, I'm that's, not sure she actually thus, does. Thus, why that's a good way for Freddie to get at him, right? Exactly. So that's why that works later on. But no, I, I liked it. Let's talk about Dr. Gordon here, though, and the fact that he keeps seeing this white nun, and then he doesn't see her. 
running around. Well, we, we set that up later, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but first, you know, before we get to the white nun, uh, we could talk a little bit about Dr. Gordon because I think he's an interesting character here. Um, we said earlier that we think he actually has a strong passion for these kids and he's actually out to try and help her. We also find out that he, as Nancy drops her purse, he helps pick up some of the stuff, that he pulls up a bottle of pills from Nancy, reads what they are, and later goes back to his sweet PC. I was going to ask um, you, what did you think of that? <laughs> that's what it was back then, man. We used to have one of those in our school. So, I mean, it was pretty cool. They did, they did a good job. And he goes back there and he looks up this drug from his you know, Encyclopedia Britannica software. <laughs> I was going to say, what is he looking that up on? There's no internet for him to, there's no WebMD for him to Google that. No, nope. uh, don't you remember the old days? You'd have to actually buy the encyclopedia the, on CD-ROM. I was going to say, no, there's no CD drive, Brian. That's a five okay, and well, a half. Flip, floppy disk, whatever <laughs> yeah, you want to do. But yeah. we used to do that. We used to have all of the uh, encyclopedias on, on a disk and pop it in the computer. And that's how we did our research for school and everything else so no, I he's doing that. the yeah. same thing he's just looking up the old hypnosil see what that does and hypnosil. we learn that nancy's nancy's taking a drug to stop her from dreaming it actually suppresses dreams what a cool MacGuffin, by the way i mm-hmm. mean it even sounds like a drug right hypnosil yeah. you know i'm <laughs> like man that's pretty slick i i I would love it. I don't know that such a thing could. I guess it could put you so far out that you don't dream. You know, that's the idea. But it's. I don't know what the side effects of that would be. Like one of those commercials is like may cause bleeding from the eyes and you know stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't. It, it's it's and they talk about it. It's highly experimental. You know, and all this stuff. And he has a quick change on like how he feels about it uh, later in the movie. So, too, but I, I do like that he yeah. looks it up though, because you already talked about you know he's got a thing for Nancy. I think that's pretty clear from the get go when he sees her. Oh yeah, because he's all like, "Who's this grad school superstar? I don't want to fool with this." And then he sees her, he's like, "Oh," <laughs> and and they do doll her up quite a bit in this movie. I mean, she she's cute in this film. Yeah, and it's obvious he's got something for it, and I think he's intrigued by what she brings to the table. Even though he doesn't know quite yet what that is, um, he'll learn very shortly. Yeah, uh, she didn't but, waste time telling him. I mean, no. Well, that and that's because, as we see right away, one of our Corey Feldman lookalike gets <laughs> knocked off right away in this film, oh. and, and and so we'll talk about that. But first, we need to talk about what what we learned about Kristen, and that happens fairly quickly here. Uh, she's put into the uh, or put, she goes to sleep, falls asleep. And she's in a dream, and there's big old snake Freddy coming Ooh, after her, and he's yeah. devouring her. She's she's back in that house again, and I mean, he yeah, he's coming at her with a bloody willed tricycle that melts, and then the the rancid pig monster on the table, which that looked like something out of a haunted house I've been to a couple times, you know, probably and, smelled great. Yeah, I'm sure. It, I mean, they were, the, you could hear the buzzing around it with the flies and all that. Like, yeah, I was sitting here going like it smells and I'm watching it, you know, but exactly the, the Freddy snake, I, the Freddy snake is a little poltergeisty <laughs> to me, a little poltergeist too, actually. Mm-hmm. But the cool part to me, the part I liked was the way the room explodes around her. 
and how Freddy like takes out the walls and stuff before he comes up from the floor to try to eat her. I thought that right. part looked cool. The snake, it's okay, but it's a lot of shape shifting from Freddy this time, and that's what yep. what this I'm is the I'm, first I'm, one we get. I'm yep. noticing is the second one. Yeah, this is a second shape shift that we've gotten from Freddy, and I'm liking the fact that that's a dimension they've added to him here. I, that was a smart impulse to make that part of his power. I agree. I, I like that too. And and like we said, we'll see a bunch of it actually in this film, which is really cool. But I didn't mind the snake. I thought it was my comment was, wow, that's a big Freddy snake. Yeah, because he, he was massive. And yeah. so he's devouring Kristen. And then we learn what her power is. Right. As she's being devoured, she calls out Nancy's name, who is sitting in a room, and all of a sudden she's there. Now, Nancy was asleep. She wakes up thinking somebody's called her name, and then you're right. She like falls backwards through her invisible chair, and she's in the dream. What a what a cool idea of bringing people into the dream. Uh, I love the conceit of this whole idea that there's a girl who is almost telekinetic in some way. Like she doesn't even know what her powers are and that she can bring people into her dreams. And she talks about later how she used to bring her dad into a dream when she was having a bad dream well, and, and, I, the, and they would talk about it later. And I'm she, like, what a cool thing. Yeah. And I don't, I think she actually does know what her power is because she admits that she used to bring him in and her dad would say, Oh, I had this dream what? and she wouldn't tell him that that was no. her dream. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not. It's not that she doesn't know what it is. She doesn't really know how she's doing it yet, though. Like, oh, sure. Nancy's the one well, that tells I think her. She, I gotta, I gotta think that she does know how she's doing it. She just doesn't know she can do it at any time because she, she admits fully admits that she's did it a lot with bringing her dad into the, into her nightmares. She didn't realize she can do it on command. Is the thing. Sure. It yeah. only happens when she thinks she's at freakout moment, right? And. What Nancy tries to get her to realize is that no, you can do this whenever you want to, you know. And yeah. I don't know. I like the I like the idea though. And look, Nancy and Freddy face off in that thing. You know, he she stabs the Freddy snake in the eye with some broken glass, mm-hmm. and then it spits Kristen out. And they stand up and it looks at her, and you can see that like they do the little puppet face with Freddy, which looks like. Like the scarier parts of Pee Wee's Playhouse are coming to life here is what I feel like I'm looking at. You know? I, I really enjoyed that because I like that Freddie looked at her and, and immediately recognized her and said, "You." Yeah, exactly. It's like we we've, we've pitted him against his adversary. It's the the She's thing that back. we it's the thing that we got in Halloween H two O, but was never verbalized between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. It's the your old adversary's back. You yeah, know? and they and they have set it up that Nancy is this this supreme hero from that time or whatever. I mean, and she's, you know, we find out what she's gone into and it makes sense or whatever, but essentially all of this is just a setup so she can go in there and try to save what's left of the Elm street children, you know, because she knows how to do it and she knows what, what they're dealing with. Cause she reads through the lines too and knows that it's not a spark in suicide. It's a spark in Freddie side. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. She, she knows right, right away. And I think that's why she's interning at this exact place. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, she immediately recognizes the the issue. Like, I don't know if she actually felt like Freddy was necessarily attacking, but now she knows for sure that it's Freddy. I think she might have had a little doubt at first, and she immediately asked Doctor Gordon to prescribe every one of the kids with the hypnosil to stop them from dreaming. And of course, he says, "No freaking way! It's a highly potent drug that's not even uh, approved by the FDA." <laughs> no, no. And I mean, they they try to, you know, they go to the group session and we do get to see everybody trying to 
go through group. And the fact that they've all dreamed of Freddie before they met in group, but I wrote in my notes, Dr. Biatch is having none of that. You know, right, she doesn't right. want to, she wants to hear. She doesn't believe a that. freaking word any of them are saying. <laughs> no, she's like, shut up and take your pills and do your therapy and just be quiet. Like she's part of the problem is the right. thing. And, and now she lives is the thing. <laughs> I'm like, we didn't, I wanted her. I know, right? Uh, Like, usually these movies do that, right? And I'm like, well, no, she, she makes it through this. So, um, somehow, yeah. So I guess it did, it didn't matter in the end because it is all about these kids, but we, we set it up. Uh, Nancy drops the, the knowledge on Neil pretty quick about what's up on Freddy. Like, this is who Freddy is. You need to know this about Freddy and stuff. And he's surprisingly (laughs) accepting of most of this. Well, and the reason is because, uh, you know, the, the Corey Feldman character has a, a dream and we get the next uh, iteration of Freddy shapeshift as he shapeshifts into a puppet. Yes. And, <laughs> and then, then what, what a great first, kill. He pulls his oh, tendons man. out and walks oh. him around. That's a great effect. So, ouch. <laughs> Strings yeah. him by his own veins. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, brings him up to the high tower. And, mm-hmm. and of course, the other room uh, where the two boys are sleeping, they, they're keeping watch of each other. And the mute and the one who's in a wheelchair, <laughs> great yeah. group to have together, right? <laughs> um, they're in there, and, and he sees this kid sitting up. Philip is sitting up on the top of the tower about to jump off. Okay, so either Freddy is playing with his food again and just waiting for everyone to watch what's going to happen, or what the hell? I mean, he sits up there for a long time. <laughs> I think you've hit it. Freddy is playing with his food again because, again, he is fed off of the fears, and we'll learn later, the souls of the children that he kills, right? Mm-hmm. And the more, and we've already set up in two films, that the more afraid you are of him, the more powerful he can become. So I think that's exactly right. He's waiting until everybody, everybody watching, everybody watching, snap, and he slashes his hands across those veins and cuts him loose, and then the guy jumps. Or falls, yeah. as it were. It looks like yep. he jumps. I, I thought that was great. I think it's the, the best kill in the film. Uh, because it's so menacing. I mean, Freddy's not doing anything but laughing maniacally and looking like a bad mofo in this. He's having and, a fun time. And, and I, but I, but he's not cracking jokes or anything like that. And we'll, I'm bringing that up for a reason because that changes in very soon, <laughs> drastically. Uh, yes, and for the rest of the series. <laughs> but yeah. because it makes a turn, and we'll talk about it. But no, I think the kill is fantastic, and. You feel the loss from the group. That's oh, like yeah. another one, you know, and they're just all just deflated by this or whatever, right? And Kristen is right in the next group. Freddie's dividing and conquering them, you know. Yeah, and that, that this is what turns Doctor Gordon's intentions around. This is how he, yeah. he decides. Yep, he's going to try hypnosil. Now they never do. I don't think in the film no. they end up doing a group, uh, an unauthorized group therapy session in which he tries to hypnotize instead of hypnosil the kids. Right. Well, they, they say that it's on order, but it won't get there till the next day or whatever. So him and Nancy are just doing what they can about yep. it. Like they do drop that line. But I, I, li- I like the fact that he has this change of heart on it and it separates him from the other doctor. Then you And like the minute he said, like, I'll go all the way to the top if I have to, I'm like, that's going to come back and bite you, you know, and sure enough, it will. So, I, mm-hmm. you know, you knew that was coming. But well, and I liked you know. how they set this up. They, they go through the I mean, you got 
very sleep deprived kids, right? It shouldn't be that hard to get them to fall asleep. Let's just say that now. Um, and they're sitting there and he's putting in the, the hypnotizing and all of a sudden that it doesn't seem to work. So my question is, uh, at this point we're in a dream. We don't know it yet, but we're in a dream. Right. How did Nancy and Gordon get in that dream? Did, did, did Kirsten pull them in right away without knowing or what? Because they're acting like normal and they never fell asleep. I wondered the same thing, Brian. I was like, are you two being hypnotized too? That's what they must have. But, but I think I, either that, either it was so great at hypnotizing that it hypnotized them too, or Kristen did just go ahead and pull them in there anyway because they were in vicinity with her. Well, and, and it would have been a, a subconscious thing because well, none of them knows that they're in the dream. I say that, though, but here's the thing. When they are woken up at the end or whatever, Gordon and Nancy both are slumped over in their chair. So I guess they went into the hypnotizing dream sleep as well. They just, in the first of it, didn't oh, didn't realize it. Because yep. they're the adults and they're trying to be rational about all this stuff. I guess. That's what I'm kind of reading. I'm thinking about it now. I hadn't thought about it. But they're in the dream, and boy, we get some nice... I mean, I, when I saw the little metal ball things that, you know, uh, the little trap or whatever start to float i felt like i was watching after last season again for a minute because it's the same kind of effect where the little balls float in front of kincaid's hands it's it's ms paint uh flying around but <laughs> but it's just it's dated it can't, it can't help but it is what it is uh but yeah. we are in the dream world at this point yeah and um, and and the interesting part about this is that because they don't realize they're in the dream world at first you get uh, one of them walking off and and of course Sexy nurse is there, and she pulls him in to give him a little yum yum. Yeah, well, uh, only something. whoops, it's not the nurse. No. And then, and then on top of that, you've got the dickhead uh, nurse guy. I don't know what you want to call him, security nurse or whatever. The same thing that Lawrence Fishburne is. He's trying to get, uh, get. Uh, is it Taryn? Taryn. 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 Yeah, he's trying to get Taryn to take some drugs. I know. I'm like what a douche nozzle. I know. I'm like, what a what a dick, right? Like all the, all these people are spreading out. Or, but here's the thing: they don't realize they're in the dream, mm-hmm. and that's what gets them because they separate, you know. Yeah. And Jennifer goes to watching her TV. Now we haven't talked about her at all, but she has this dream of being on television. Yeah, and she's watching Dick Cavett interviews Jaja Gabor, like actually. And yep. I didn't know for years that this wasn't, you know, I thought, oh, they got, they got like footage of these people. No, they got them to shoot a scene because at some point Dick Cavett turns into Freddy. Yeah. You know, and, and curses out Jaja before <laughs> it decides to kill Jennifer. Now, the thing about this though, now this is where a lot of things change in the Freddy verse. Okay. First off, we have another shapeshift because Freddy becomes the TV and it's like the Terminator arms come out and then he's mm-hmm. on the head comes through. So it's a really cool looking effect. But he, he drops a pun on her, right? Which Robert England has said always for years, I didn't do anything. You know, the writers write Freddy, but except one line, he wrote this and it becomes a Freddy thing forever to end every sentence with bitch. I mean, it's welcome to prime time, bitch, before he slams her head into the television mm-hmm. and it kills her. Changes so many things in the Freddy verse. One, it's him punning when he kills somebody. All right. And add that. Two, he kills somebody in a way that there is no way on earth 
the people in the real world will confuse that for a suicide or an accident or anything. How could right. she have done that to herself? Like that, that to me is like, we changed things when that happened for t- yeah. on two levels. And while it's memorable and it makes you go, Ooh, it also undermines a little bit of what they've already set up about Freddie. Because we talked about in the first movie that he hangs Rod. Why not slash Rod up? Well, Rod's got nothing to slash himself with in prison, but he'll hang himself, and then that'll let Freddy keep doing what he wants to do on the sly. You know, right? Yeah, it looks like a suicide there. Yeah, why Why the change now, you think? That's what I want to know. I don't know, and I agree with you. That is the most unrealistic suicide, and either this psychiatric ward is covering this up, to make it a suicide so they don't have to deal with any uh, unwanted questions? I mean, yeah, this girl has a funeral. What? So days go by, you know, after this happens. They have to explain to her parents what happened to her. Yeah. And, and look, they don't even paint the wall because later the burned out wall is still there. So I don't, I don't know. It's so weird. But the thing that gets me more is the change in the Freddy tone. You know, I talked about in that kill with Philip, he was really malevolent, right? He was just mm-hmm. evil. Now he's trying to be funny and evil at the same time. And I don't know, how did you kind of feel about that? I mean, do you like that? Um, I didn't mind it. I actually laughed at it. It was funny. Yeah, but I, it doesn't bother me. Uh, but at some point, you got to decide if you're going to be a horror film or a comedy. Thank you. Right? Yes. And and I want this to be a horror film and not a comedy. But mm-hmm. it looks like my wishes are going to be thrown out the window. <laughs> well, they lean more on the comic timing going forward with this. And I, I do wonder whose idea that ultimately was. I mean, it had to be Russell or Darabont's because it wasn't in Craven's you know, manifesto that, that couldn't be filmed. Mm-hmm. By the way, so one of them came up with this somewhere along the way to make Freddie this, I don't know, joke, stand-up comedian, you know, and right. I don't know. I just wonder where that decision got made because it changes the series, I mean, completely uh, going forward from here. But moreover, mm-hmm. it just gets kind of glossed by in the thing because we get some serious time with the white nun now who we find as name is Sister Mary Helen, right? Well, she's at the funeral for Jennifer. She ends up standing right next to Gordon, and and he uh, talks to her uh, about all sorts of weird things, right? Right. Because he's a, he's a scientist, and religion's not his strong suit. And she asks him some questions. You know, what is your faith? And he says, I guess it's science. She says, poor choice, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, and it gives him some little tidbits, right? Little, little hints about things. And uh, he doesn't quite catch on fully, I don't think. At this point, but we do get her name and a little bit about her, and then she kind of just disappears when Nancy shows up. Right, Nancy shows up, and here's the other thing too: Nancy and him walk away together, and like they wrap arms around each other. And I'm like, right. okay, are, are you two going to the picture show later? I got, I gotta <laughs> say that more than likely, it's because of the death and comfort. I, Right. Okay, I will go with that. I will I will go with that if they had not done that uncomfortable getting to know you dinner thing. <laughs> but but I'm not saying they're like going in, you know, the back seat of the car next door. I'm just like 
this is a strange relationship you two are building, but okay. So, cause, well, it, it, but it's at the dinner that she convinces him to finally give the hypnos LP. This is true. This is true. So, though I'm not, I'm with you. I'm not entirely certain that that's not because he's got a little bit of a crush on her, but uh, absolutely. But she also t- spills the beans and tells her, tells Gordon exactly what is going on and and what she went through so right, he will right. try and understand yeah he's so been honest yeah which which does yep. lead to the next bit where she gets to tell what's left of the group what she knows about Freddie and that she knows who Freddie is and explains she, it to him yep. yeah she convinces him let Kristen pull us into a dream learn to use our untrapped dream powers so we can you know get the party started with a little group hypnosis you know, and this and, is where that dream, mm-hmm. that, that whole hypnos, hypnosis scene that we talked about already takes place. And, of course, poor Joey um, walks out because they don't believe they're in the dream. And he gets a little sum-sum from Freddie Nurse. Right, yeah, <laughs> which is tongue-tied, you know, spits well, tongue, ties it, him up. And then, like, and he's, again, but he's, he's dangling him over hell or something. Like, we go into Freddie's well, boiler fire pit, room. Yeah. Well, but mm-hmm. like, Freddie's boiler room is now Dante's hell. Like it, it looked, I'm like pretty man, much we, yeah. yeah we have really injected a lot of different stuff into the Freddy mythos here that wasn't there before and I'm not complaining about it I'm just noticing that it's starkly different than what we'd seen before so, oh yeah yeah it's it yeah, definitely but, but I, I think uh, again shows Freddy what Freddy likes to do he's playing with his food right right but but it also shows but also, something else too that we haven't seen which is how much fre- power Freddy really has once he gets you know, killing a lot of people and he's killed a lot of people at this point. We've been told is he can do a lot of things in the dream world. And the potential of that has always been the most alluring part of this series for me. The idea of a guy that can operate in the dream world. It's unlimited. It's limitless what he could do. And they're pretty well pushing it to everything they can here. Yeah. And it is kind of cool. And we, we do learn shortly after uh, about the whole souls thing and the gross opening the shirt to show you the the mini faces heads and faces. Of, yeah, that was yeah. really grotesque. Have, but that have, comes to play a lot now. I know, but like having had an uncle who who suffered severe burns on his chest and things, you know, and knowing what he went through and sort of seeing that or whatever, I, I've always been really uncomfortable when Freddie would decide to take his shirt off. I'm like, mm, that's kind of awkward and weird because I'll say this and it's sad to say that's it's incredibly accurate, the makeup job there. I mean, it's it's uncanny how much that looks like the real thing. So it's, it's scary. But yeah. Anyway, uh, not to bring the podcast down a little bit as we just talked about a naked Freddy nurse a minute ago. But, uh, yeah, we, we also, uh, you know, Dr. Sims is the one that walks in and interrupts the session, you know, an unauthorized and, but, session, unauthorized session. And but Joey is like in a coma at the end of this right. thing. Right. So that that, of course, is going to lead to Gordon and Nancy getting thrown out of there by the upper because we were talking about that happening. Right. And mm-hmm. that. The, you know, the fact that he was going to be so brash to that woman, that was going to come back and bite him. And sure enough, it did. But I got to say, yeah. Jay, Dr. Gordon takes the firing pretty damn well. He does. He just cleans out his desk. And he's like, it's well, like, what if I'll get my resume together. I've got offers over at Johns Hopkins, you know, or, yeah, whatever, right? or, I'll, or I'll, I'll call my friend over in, uh, you know, Maryland and go hang out with him. And that uh, lector guy that he's got in, uh, <laughs> in, Captivity or you, whatever. You would think you would think that he might be a little heartbroken at losing his job when he's got this relationship with these kids, but it's almost well, like he's like, eh, whatever. Well, you know what though? The thing is though, I think he's more heartbroken about not being able to be around him them than he is about losing his job. 
I don't think he cares that he lost his job. I think he's he's upset that well, he doesn't look upset. Well, he looks like he's worried. And this guy always looks like he's worried anyway. Bit. It's just his face. He's got resting worried face, I guess you'd say. But <laughs> but he he kind of looks that way to me. So but, uh, this you know, this ends up with 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 a, a good scene though, mm-hmm. where he's walking around for some reason the grounds, and he just happens to look up and see the white nun that he was talking to earlier because he was ba- a little baffled that she kind of just disappeared on him the last time. Wasn't she standing where Philip like was thrown he, from? Yes, okay, that's what I you. thought too. I thought that was right. Okay. And so he finds a way to get in. He breaks the lock on a door, makes his way up to this old classroom that, or, or storage room with a bunch of class supplies. It's almost like this used to be a school, right? right? And I think that she even hints that it was an old nunnery school or something like that. And Well, uh, it, it actually, it, it was a, a, a mental institution. It's always been one, but that was the part where they kept the most criminally insane people was over okay. there. They kept them separated from the general population. Rightfully so. Yes, as we, <laughs> and, as we will learn. Yeah, and so this is the fun part of the movie because we actually get a little bit of backstory on Freddy's human side and his mother and how this happened and what a story that is, Jay. I mean, yikes. Yeah, his, his mother was a young nun who we'll later find out is this nun. So we'll, we'll just go ahead and blow that <gasps> Yeah, right. Like that was it already. Uh, like that wasn't obvious. Okay. Right. So, uh, but yeah, it, we, you know, his mother was this young nun who accidentally got locked up over the holidays and like a hundred of these, you know, insane men took turns having their way with her. And when they found her, of course, she was barely alive. And as she puts it, she was with child and she calls Freddie the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. You know, mm-hmm. and just the idea that he was just this abomination, you know, and and it gives a yeah. story to Freddie we didn't have before because all we've ever known about Fred Krueger was that he worked at an old power plant and that he was a child murderer. Okay, and th- that was what we knew, but now we know like he was born bad from the start because this evil thing happened to him. It's almost like he's like an evil thing from The Exorcist now, though. Because we've introduced all this sort of Catholic stuff in there and everything, and it's it's a different motif, but it's not a bad one. Because it, it, at part three, you got to start giving some new information at some point, and we've given a ton with the idea of what Freddy can do in the dream world, and that there are people that can also have powers in dreams. If Freddy can have them, then humans can have them too, right? And we also got to give a new layer to the backstory. And I'll say this: they give enough of it to make it go ooh and kind of interesting, but they don't overtell it. And oversell right. it to me. And I appreciate that about this film because they could have gone on and on and on with that. Like, you know, Rob Zombie would have shown us a flashback of all of it happening for <laughs> right. and, and thank goodness. Oh, God. Yeah. No, we yeah. don't need that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, we don't, you don't need, or, or Quentin Tarantino would have had another 40 pages of it. You know, you don't want that. It's just enough. And, you know, it is the, the marks of guys who I know their work, Darabont and Russell, the way they do things. It's subtly introducing something. And then now, now you understand understand a little bit more so when we go into serious crazy land in act three you're on the hook with it because now you realize where freddie comes from is just the most awful thing you could think of i mean and what's she- more awful than a nun being raped by a hundred maniacs for a weekend mm-hmm. and she also tells us a very key point that the only way to make the demon go away is to give him a proper burial on hallowed ground because he's pure yeah. evil he needs 
something holy to hold them in place. I need to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what makes ground hallowed. Is it the holy rites that are kind of done at the end of this? Is that what that is? I, they make it seem like you have to have Catholic holy water, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> make, I'm, I'm maybe asking, maybe yeah. Dr. Gordon's Catholic and he <laughs> that's what he thinks. A hallowed ground is just a Christian burial ground or a worship place of worship. An Indian burial ground is hallowed ground. I was going to say, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought anything could be hallowed ground if it was – Anything a, can yeah. be hallowed ground, but it's usually um, something cordoned off specifically for that. It's not like I sense. can go bury you in my backyard and it's hallowed well, ground. Or as we'll find out, you can't throw him in the back of a Cadillac in a junkyard. You can't put him in the back well, of a Cadillac. you never know. <laughs> yeah, and see what you have happens. to throw some holy yeah. water on that. Well, yeah, and that's kind of what happens. We'll get yeah, to it in Act 3. Yeah. But no, no. I, Again, I like holy the, water may be blessed water, but I think you need a little more than that to consider it hallowed. But uh, maybe I'm wrong. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I do like the idea, though, that she is giving him the ammunition you're going to need to now go and complete your tasks in act three, you know, because what, what mm-hmm. I'm realizing something, and I realized at this time that I'd never realized before. I had always said the main character of this film is Nancy in the return, but I don't think that's the case, Brian. I think the mm-hmm. main character is Dr. Gordon and the art he takes. And Nancy is like the featured player and catalyst the guest of it. the supporting yeah. actress yeah exactly but gordon is the he's the story here right um i think he's a large part of the story but i, I think the kids are supposed to be the main story and then he has a side story of his growth okay. and understanding of this right i uh, see because i you know the the film is called dream warriors and you would think it's because these kids get to go and do dream warrior work, but actually they're not really good at it th- when they get well, to doing it finally. <laughs> yeah, it's it, they're really not. And so it should be like dream warrior, you know, because he well, kind of, yeah. you know. I don't he know, doesn't really fight them in the dream. That's he doesn't. He doesn't. And we'll talk about that, too. But let, let's get to what Act 3 is, is essentially a vacillation between two things. All right. Gordon and Thompson going to do this holy burial thing. And Nancy going to the hospital with Will Kincaid and Taryn to form the Dream Warriors. And because what has happened is after they've been fired, Dr. Sims, Biatch, has decided we're going to drug Kristen up and throw her in the quiet room, which is the padded room. For Smart, the right? Yeah. Which, bad, which, you know, she's going to get killed, basically, is what Nancy knows, is that Freddie will destroy her in that state. And so they've got to, you know, get in there and rescue her. Right. In some way. So that's going to be the two timelines that we get to follow here in in Act 3. And I do enjoy the fact that she gets back into that hospital after she's been fired. And, and, and Lawrence Fishburne's character stops her from getting to see Kristen right away. So she asks him if he can think she can please say goodbye to the other kids. And he lets her go, which is how she gets them into the room to do the hypnosis piece again. And we get right. back into the dream world. In the meantime, while this, all this happened, she's explained to the kids that they can be anything they want in their dreams. What are they usually in their dreams? And they each have a little, this is how we, what we call the superpowers. You know, Kincaid is strong in his dreams. He could do anything. He's strong. Uh, one of them is a badass, I guess, beautiful woman. Uh, She's got a mohawk, man. That, that, yeah, that, that takes badass. some work. That takes some work to do, buddy. But switchblades, come on. Yeah. The one in the wheelchair can walk which I don't know how super powerful is, but he's also a super wizard. 
You know, that yeah, was pretty he's, awesome. He's the wizard master. Cause, well, they set up him playing some game with them yes, earlier. Yes, correct. A Dungeons and Dragons type game by a yeah, different name. Yeah. Exactly. Which, which and, I do take as the kind of sly humor that a guy like Frank Darabont would throw in. Like, you know, D&D so bad. Yeah, right. Well, I actually might save somebody's life. You know, like that's well, that kind of. There you go. Of, right? I think that's exactly the subversive kind of thing he does. <laughs> but it doesn't. So, no, no, so as we'll, we'll find we'll out. So. Um, but, um, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Kristen is, I guess, a super um, athletic gymnast. Yeah, she gets two powers. <laughs> she can pull in other people, and she can swap places with a stuntman who can do flips. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a good, nice back roundhouse tuck. I think she's going to need to work on the landing just a little, though, Brian, if she's going to make yeah. the bring it on squad. This is so, not a democracy. It is a cheerocracy. Yeah, so though that's been established now. But before she goes back to the hospital, we have to also revisit a certain character from our first film. Daddy is back. John Saxon. He's back. <laughs> Mr. Thompson, Lieutenant Thompson is back. He's a drunk now. Oh, he's, he's also not lieutenant. Security guard. Yeah, yep. he's he's working at the mall, I guess. Yeah, he's a security was that, guard. Was that the bar from part two? But just not a leather bar I, anymore. I, I, I doubt it. I don't think they kept that around. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think we got enough of the bar from uh, part two to know. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> That's a good point. We only got, we the got one a scene. lot of of half naked people in dominatrix outfits, but I don't think we got enough of the bar I, to really make. I just a wonder if it, let's just think for a minute again. If two's in continuity, all that bad stuff goes down. They're like, maybe we should change the motif and just be a dive. You know, and then a year later, this is what's left. I don't know. There's maybe there's more than one bar in Springwood. But could could anyway. be. I don't know. Continue on though, because I'm you're, guessing you're, there is though, because right. I don't think everyone would go to the Dom Bar. I would think. I don't think Lieutenant Thompson would have been down for that. He seemed like a pretty yeah. square, square dude. Yeah, from, from what we caught. Um, but <laughs> yes. You know. So uh, this is one of my favorite scenes because of how stupid and cheesy it is. Oh, it is totally <laughs> cheesy. Yes, thank we you. We go to the bar. <laughs> He's drunk. Nancy hasn't seen him in several years now. Right. And she's asking him to tell them where Freddie is buried, and he basically tells her to go fly a kite. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and so she's about to leave, and Gordon tells her, "Go ahead to the to get to the kids. I'll take care of this." And becomes Mister Badass. I know, right? He starts picks picking Daddy this cop up and up. says, "Look, you may not care about your daughter, but I do." <laughs> I know it is so. I like. I wrote. I was like, "This sucks like a Hoover right here." Yes. I mean, the acting is terrible, I only, but it is so soap opera. It is perfect it is. for this and moment. I was, I was just so, like, wow, this is just fantastic. Yeah. It's but, funny, though, how he strong arms this cop. Is You're going to tell me where the body is. Well, the is. cop is pretty drunk. Yeah, I know, but I love how Lieutenant Thompson is like, okay, just don't strike Right? Me. Like, don't beat me up. <laughs> I know. I'm like, don't man, you're, my ass. I guess after he saw Glenn's gushery body, it just turned him into mush. I don't know. My only question is, well, why is Daddy so afraid to tell him where the bones are? What does he care? I don't know. I other than I don't. The thing he, I took he, it as Brian is that he may have been the only one that knew of all of the Elm Street parents that were involved in that murder, which there were a lot of them. Let's just go ahead and say it. Mm-hmm. But he would have been the only one to know because again, the less people know the secret, then nobody can you know pin it on anybody. And plus, being the I, cop, he could hide it the best. I guess it was just the whole holding on to the secret thing. That's all I can I don't, say. see. And my thought was is that he still doesn't believe Nancy from back in six years back yeah, and and he's so sick of hearing about it that he doesn't want to tell her anything 
I can believe that. That that's a fair assessment. Too. That's how I, I kind of took it. Yeah, I just took it as again it was he he just was holding on to an old secret, you know. But he does give it up pretty quick, so maybe it was just he was drunk and didn't <laughs> care. I don't know. So <laughs> very true. So of course, what happens is uh, you know he convinces uh, security guard Thompson now to go with him and show him where the bones are. And on the way, he stops at a church. Runs in, grabs some holy water, steals a crucifix. I know, like rips it off and like doesn't even, he's like, he's going to pay the priest for it. He's like, here, just hold my driver's license. I'm good for it. And I'm like, <laughs> right. the, the priest is like, um, son, excuse me. Um, I'm pretty sure they don't let you That's just walk out. That's pure gold, jackass. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure they're not going to let you just walk out like that. <laughs> there's, you know, there's some I, I don't boys. think the priest is really going to stop them. There are some altar boys somewhere that'll take care of that. So not at that point. I mean, it's not like churches in service here, folks. I guess I don't know, but again, yeah, churches again, are almost always open. So I see this. This is new because I don't. I don't know that that well from from the Catholic side. So that's interesting to know. But yeah, he goes by and rips off a church. I'm like pretty sure that unhallows whatever you're doing. But I love how he takes the lieutenant, not Lieutenant Thompson's liquor bottle to fill up the. the oh, got to put it somewhere, too. right? Like, where did he? pour the liquor he pour now, it out of the grass the, does the alcohol that's still in there you know kind of offset the holiness of the water maybe that'll <laughs> explain why there is a part four but we'll yeah, hold, right. hold that hold that thought yeah. <laughs> if you, you know, will. here's the thing here's the thing part four is easy someone found out dug up the bones and moved them yeah <laughs> So there we'll, you go. We'll, that, that can explain part four anyway yeah. uh so gordon's got the holy water you know he's he's basically handcuffed lieutenant uh, or sorry security guard thompson to his car so he can't run away um and they finally get out to the junkyard and security guard thompson thinks he's done well no you gotta show me where it is now so they're gonna go deep deep into this apparently massive junkyard that they have over in in, in elm street there and and find the bones yeah, he knows exactly where it is all these years later, and they haven't moved it at all. As, well, no, because all yeah. these cars are basically crushed cars, right? I know, but I'm like, they wouldn't need to rearrange. I mean, he finds that faster well, than the people found that stuff in Stephen Avery's lot. I mean, it's like, mm, I got a sense maybe he visited uh, often or something. Nice, like, nice like, making a murder reference. Yeah, like I mean, really, I kind of felt like, yeah, that seemed a little too convenient for me. So, but anyway, so. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe this thing doesn't get used a whole lot, and maybe the cops just put cars there that they've impounded and now don't need for evidence who knows i guess we're not supposed to ask that because again this is happening like this is the shorter part of what's happening the bulk of what's going down is going down at the hospital yes, time for one last dream. group yeah where the dream warriors assemble you know and uh and get ready to go and i love how like Kristen is is about to fall out in the padded room and somehow or another she knows these people are going to come and get her, so she's able to bring them in to the dream with her. I yeah. I do love that. But you know what? It, it could be written off as convenience, but I'm like, no, because she even says, I knew y'all would come for me. Like, she was wait, like keeping herself awake until she felt like, I've yeah. got, I I can't hold it anymore. I'm well, going to do the best I can, and then she drags them in. At this point in the movie, they're a group, right? They're they're right. looking out for each other. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I understand that. And she she battles hard. I mean, that's a she's being sedated and she's walking around to keep herself awake. And you know, luckily for her, it happens. Uh, well, kind of uh, as they're in the 
getting into the next dream state as we go here. Again, these kids are sleep deprived. Can't be too hard to put them to sleep. So now we're in the dream state. While Gordon and security guard Thompson are looking for the bones, these, these, this group is going in to confront Freddy once and for all. Right. And I love how we get a flashback to the first opening sequence or the first nightmares. I wrote it down with Kristen. That was a nice touch to come back and do mm-hmm. Chekhov's nightmare, you know, if you will. I, I thought that was neat to go back to that beginning and she plays it different. She's trying to be sweet to her mother and her mother's kind of sweet to her or whatever. And that's where we get Freddie beheading the mother. You know? <laughs> I said, like, where's, where's the, bourbon? the bourbon, bitch? I know. And again, <laughs> I'm like, Freddie's got to be a friggin' stand-up comedian now every time he wants to kill somebody. You know, I guess that's, that's what we're seeing. But he's chasing after her and I'm like, nice mohawk on the junkie. And I'll tell you, that's a pretty evocative oh. scene when he kills her with the, he turns his fingers into heroin needles, basically, and like, well, I think they were like, her. it looked more like that was uh, antifreeze. Yeah, it looked more like Drano, right? But, but I again, I don't know about, heroin's usually, a, I think, a yellowish brown color after they cook it. Oh. Uh, you know more about heroin than I do then. So, uh, anyway, well. so, point, point being, I do like the kill, though. I think it's unique. Uh, I just hate that he's still dropping lines and trying to be funny every time he does one of these. But I do think it's pretty cool how he kind of uses things against people. Like he uses, you know, Taryn is all badass until he pulls the drugs out and it's like she starts getting weak from it. She curls up into a ball, right? Well, she knows what it does to her, right? Right, exactly. She's been trying to stay away from it. She knows that if that happens, she's pretty much toast. Exactly, and then it does, and she is indeed toast. You know, yeah, so that's right. He he. To- then Wizard Master gets chased by the wheelchair <laughs> from Mad Max, right? But tries to use Force Lightning on it until Freddy says, "I don't, I don't believe in that hokey religion," and right. just stabs him Turns <laughs> like, right it in the chest. And I'm so like, right Wiz- away, we're two down in this. I'm, this yeah, dream sequence. I'm like, the dream warriors kind of suck. <laughs> you know? like, they're not very good at their job. I'm like, I can see why you don't want to dream no more if you, you're this bad at it. I mean, geez, they're yeah. terrible. So Kristen and Nancy reunite. Kincaid starts talking more trash. You know, of he course. busts through the wall, which was pretty yes. fun. Yeah, it was very junkyard. Yes, he's very strong, very yes. strong. But I love that the the door to the boiler room just appears in the in the room, and then they've got to like open it up. But it's just sort of free floating in the room. I'm like, that's pretty cool. The imagery of that uh-huh. works really well. I thought, I thought that was that... good too. I liked it, right. and it it just says here, come get me, you know that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And of course, they walk through, and who they find? They find Joey down there. But no, we, we still tongue tied. But we cut back to what's going on upstairs. This is back at the. This is where they've now found the the bones at the back of the caddy, and they're getting ready for the funeral, right? So we get a quick cutaway before we go down the the steps to Freddy's hellish boiler room, and then they're you know they're basically going in there to try to rescue Joey, and he's Freddy's about to cut him loose, and. Nancy and Kristen and Kincaid combine together to go down there and save him. So they're actually able to save somebody from the well, fire. They have pit. to because right. falling into a pit. <laughs> right. I mean, but no, they, they do it though. That's the thing. They are successful in it. And they they get in, into this fight with Freddie, and that's where he rips open the shirt and gives him the whole like bit about what he's, uh, you know, how he's fed by the souls of the children. Right. And Nancy runs him through with a stake. And of course, he's just like, yeah, right. 
you know, and, and I love how though he gets distracted because what's going on up top in the real world is they found the bones and they're about to do the burial rites and he has to go and deal with that. And I'm like, this is cool. Freddie can't be two places at once. You know, right. He can be in the I dream thought... world or he can be dealing with things in the real world. And I'm like, I like that to a guy who seemed to have had unlimited powers. No, there was an actual limit to it. I liked it too. And I like the fact that once his bones were touched, because I don't think he ever thought that anyone was going to go look for his bones. But once they start rattling around and know, he knows about it, I love the little animation factor that they did with that, with the bones coming alive and oh, yeah, uh, the, how he had the, apparently the, had bone fingernails now. I thought yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was like he became Wolverine's you know, bone structure or something and started kicking ass on these people. Like It was Ray Harryhausen, mm-hmm. Clash of the Titans all the way, but I thought it was a nice effect. I like how he, he took out the two people. I mean, he, look, he stabs uh, uh, security guard Thompson and then throws him against a sharp object, so he's impaled and dead. He's dead, you know. yep. And he whacks Gordon with a shovel twice, so he he wins the buried alive match, as it were. And, and he tries ro- to bury alive Gordon right. a little bit, and and he roars and then just crumbles, so he can go back and deal with them in the dream world. Right? Yeah, I thought and, that was neat. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like I'm gonna go deal with these two idiots, and then I'm coming back for the rest of you, you know, because right. they're trying to figure out what to do, you know. Because he so he has to disappear, and then he comes back, and we get that Hall of Mirrors showdown, right, where he starts pulling all of them into the different mirrors. You know, and they they're they they can't fight him. And this is where Joey realizes his power is to basically scream really loud. <laughs> Which, for some some insane reason, does something to Freddy. Well, it breaks all the glass. I, I guess it's because it's something he can't do in his normal day, and so it's amplified in the dream world. I I think that's what we're supposed to know. I I don't know. Uh, maybe. But, but you know he's like he's you know he's he almost got some tail he got tied up over a hell thing and saved and then he decided to just yell I, I get it let out your barber like yob Joey yeah you know? and and so. but it's a nice false uh, ending there right because it's one of about all three. of a sudden <laughs> so. here comes Nancy's dad in a dream state to let her know he's dead mm-hmm. but it's not daddy it's Freddy. And his dad's are and my you know, my my note was daddy's dead and appears to Nancy in a dream to tell her he's sorry. What? Oh good, it was Freddie. Yeah. <laughs> da- again, like she should have known that like no, my dad would have never done that. <laughs> you know, like, no, he was kind of a sullen a hole. So that wasn't <laughs> But no, she falls for it. Because you know what? It's a good trick. Good trick, Freddie. And he stabs her. And what I find amusing about it is that again, Freddie has been jokester punster for everybody, except Nancy. He's like, no, nope, just die. <laughs> just uh, please die. And I thought it was a very dark turn because I'm like Nancy's gonna die? I mean, what a... I don't know. It's just not something you expected to see, right? Uh, You you didn't think that was gonna happen. No, absolutely not. But I do like the fact that she stabbed Freddy with his own knives. That's the thing. She comes back, though. Again, this is the false ending upon false ending. I feel like I'm watching a Lord of the Rings movie here. (laughs) She turns around and stabs him to distract him enough, right? And it, it gives Gordon time to wake up under that mound of dirt to crawl up to those bones and to start 
flinging the holy water saying words that he would have no idea what they were. How did I guess he watched The Exorcist a couple times sometime in his life, and he just kind of went with the power of Christ compels you from this bottle of Mad Dog 2020 or whatever. I don't, I don't know what he's doing. It's so, it's so ridiculous. But the cool part of it is, is as he's throwing the water, it the splashes of it create cuts on Freddy in the dream world. I did think that was neat little symmetry. It's cheesy, but it, it worked. I think it worked too. Um, I liked it, and I, I thought it was a good way to kind of make him dissipate. The as the holy water crosses him, it it takes him out, right? Um, and it's an interesting piece. But like I said before, it's an easily reversible piece, right? All oh. they have to do is find the bones, uh, dig them back up, and and take them out, and they're no longer well, buried in yeah. hallowed ground. Let's make no mistake here. Unlike Friday the 13th, when they got around to the final chapter, they actually thought they were making the last one. It was Paramount that was like, no, you're actually not. And then <laughs> they resurrected it. There was no intention by New Line to turn off the Freddy machine. <laughs> They're like, no, we just got to come up with a cool way to, to you know, vanquish him. He doesn't have to, you know, you got to blow him up. Don't, don't cut him in half. Don't do anything that takes a long time to reverse. I think it's probably what Bob Shea told, uh, Russell and, and Darabont ultimately was like, don't, don't end this. Wes probably wants to end this, but don't end this. We own this. So yeah, they, they weren't done with it. They just needed to be done with this story. And yeah. it works. And you know what though? I like the fact that there's no magical undo for Nancy. Nope. Nancy's dead. D E A dead. And I, I'm like, you know what? That's a great way to or bring that character she? back. She gives, well, no, she's dead. I can tell <laughs> you now she does not come back in any of the actual sequels of this franchise. She is not Actuals. in the next three. She's not in any of the canon sequels, parts four through six. Let's just say that. Yeah. And she's not in Freddy vs. Jason. So, um, Thank God. But, she, but she's going to be in the new Hellraiser movie, I'm told, which Nick and I will have to endure somewhere down the line. Any surprise that the nun was Amanda Kruger? I think we've already kind of decided no. that no, there, there was no shock to that at all. No. Whatsoever. I did make a note. I, I was like, lots of survivors to come back for the sequel, I guess. Uh, but the the ending is what's great. It's what lets you know as, oh, this ain't over. Dr. Gordon goes to sleep with the paper mache house, because I guess he's decided he's going to keep that now. And the light comes on in it. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm, I guess mm -hmm. I guess Freddy's home. <laughs> you know, and then, then we get boiler the room's going. gone. Yeah, and then we get the docket song. So, which which is a great way to end this thing, and it, it does end on a cool vibe. And uh, I don't know, I I I like the end reveals that he learns that that was the nun was Amanda Kruger, and that it's been a, a spirit that's been guiding him. And you have this guy again who's gone on this entire journey. You know, this man of science who now is a man of science and of faith. I guess you'd say. I don't know that's much faith, but now can look outside of science to find answers. Yeah. Well, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to get final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, Brian, what are yours for A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors? Well, I, I do have to admit, Jay, that I really enjoyed this one. Um, I don't know that I would put this ahead of the original in my mind, I think the original is a little better of a movie. And I mean, if without the original, this wouldn't have happened. So, uh, but I did like this one. I think it's, it's well done. The acting's much better. I mean, we have actual real actors here. They may have been just starting out, but they actually know how to act. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne and Patricia Arquette. I mean, come on. Um, but, uh, 
you know, it was nice to see Nancy back because it feels like now we're continuing the story where we left off, right? It feels like we have a little bit more answers to what happened at the end of number one, even though we don't per se, but we know that she ended up living and what she's been doing, right, with her life. So I thought that that was really good. So to me, um, I like the story behind this one. I thought they executed it fairly well. I didn't think it was too poorly done as far as, you know, sets and everything else. I thought they did it the right way by making it dark and dreary that way. And I enjoyed the special effects in this one a lot better than the last two. Uh, so for me, I'm going to give this one a, a large popcorn. I think it's worth watching and definitely much better than number two. I am going to agree with you on the notion that people that try to say this is better than the first one, I don't think it is either. I, I think it, it never can be that. But I think it's right up there with it in terms of the fact that it has a story to tell and it's done so real deftly. These people don't waste time. Everything sets up and pays off. It's, it was almost like I was watching Back to the Future. You know, the, as tight as that script is, everything that's said in it, it you know, pays off at some point. I think they do the same kind of stuff here because it's done by the same kind of people who are energetic, young filmmakers that know what they're doing. And they do a good job with it. Yeah, it looks cheap in some places, but I think that aesthetic is on purpose, like we've talked about. I think it's supposed to look stark and institutional when it does. I like the arc of Gordon. I think he's a fantastic character here. I do think he's the lead character of this story. But I think the Dream Warriors are fascinating. The idea of and the fact that some of them survive, I'm like, please tell me we do something with that in the in the sequel because that's going to be you know, in the sequel to this in part four because that's such a rich territory to play with. How can they not? I think Freddy's powers are great in here. The effects work. It's dated, and yeah, it's got a little bit of that 80s sheen to it. But I also think that makes this movie what it is. It makes it cool. So I I put this one high. I put it, I'm going to give it an extra large popcorn. It's not as strong as the first one, but I do think it's worth the, the moniker. I think it's a strong entry in the series, and I'm curious to see if there's anything else that can live up to it. That's for sure. We've got a lot of sequels left to go, though, Brian, in this series. And we're already sequel deep over on the Friday the 13th series. If people have been checking that out right now, we've got these dueling series leading up to our Freddy versus Jason uh, mega episode, if you will, between me, you, and Ron right before Halloween. Of course, you can find all the episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Find links to our Facebook and Twitter accounts there. Uh, follow us. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. We appreciate your support. Till next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. <laughs>